0: Shrink wrap radio number 801. Johnny Crowder, the remarkable founder of Cope Notes.
1: And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrink wrap radio. rap Radio, all the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous. It's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr. Dave.
0: My guest today is Johnny Crowder, the remarkable founder of Cope Notes. What makes him remarkable? Well, not only... Is he not a PhD psychotherapist? He is a 29-year-old suicide-slash-abuse survivor, TEDx speaker, touring musician, mental health and sobriety advocate, and the founder and CEO of Cope Notes, a text-based mental health platform that provides daily support to users in nearly 100 countries around the world. Now, here's the interview. Johnny Crowder, welcome to Shrinkwrap Radio.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I'm really glad to to have you here. And I was especially eager to interview you after seeing the TEDx video that you have up that talks about about your journey. And uh, and it's a remarkable life journey, which at this point finds you as founder and CEO of Cope Notes, a text-based mental health program or platform that provi- provides daily support to users in nearly 100 countries around the world. And the, remarkable th- the, re- the reason I call it remarkable is that the story of your earlier life, no one could have predicted this outcome. So please take us through the stepping stones of your journey, if you will, uh, start at the beginning, uh, where were you born, et cetera.
2: Yeah. My, um, one of my employees says something that I think is hilarious. She says I was born at a very young age. Yeah. So I will say that I was born at a very young age, um, in Tampa, Florida. And I think you're right. Like growing up in the house that I grew up in, I didn't even have hope in helping myself form healthier mental and emotional habits and behaviors. Like I kind of, you know, I grew up with a bunch of different mental health diagnoses and in an abusive environment, you, you have this kind of learned helplessness. Like this is the way I'll always be.
0: Yeah. So back it up just a little bit. What can you tell us about your parents to better understand the home environment that you grew up in?
2: Well, both of my parents are alive and I am working on restoring relationships with them. So I always do my very best to, to speak as well of them as possible. I think that um, there was a lot of pressure in the home that was exacerbated by drug and alcohol use. And I think that made it especially difficult to um, have conversations that are challenging. And we also saw um, anger being dealt with in a very specific manner that we all took on as kids we figured you know if that's how you're supposed to express yourself when you're upset then we might as well carry out those same behaviors
0: you say when we were kids do you have uh brothers and sisters
2: i do i have some siblings yeah and where are you in the order in the birth- i am uh i have chronic middle child syndrome <laughs> okay so i'm what right is- in the middle yeah, what is the middle child
0: syndrome? Is that uh, uh, wanting to be seen and heard?
2: <laughs> I mean, maybe you could argue that you know the only reason that I'm doing public advocacy and and running a company and singing and you know speaking and doing all of the things that I enjoy doing, there's probably some like deep subconscious root of not feeling seen and heard and understood as a youth. I could totally see some validity in that theory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the uh, narrative in your YouTube, you mentioned that there were uh, that there was physical abuse, sexual abuse. I know you don't want to badmouth your parents because you're trying to establish uh, uh, -establish (laughs) reestablish a solid footing with them. But we can just put that out there. and, uh, And and you refer to emotional abuse. And I think you said you were
2: bullied at school. Oh yeah, there was. It wasn't just abuse in the household. I, I was definitely like that classic, uh, like the bullyable kid. Like I wore glasses and I loved reading and drawing and playing guitar and and writing poetry. And so I, I kind of was that like quintessential kid to get picked on in uh, pretty much all the way through high school.
0: Wow, that's so remarkable given where you are now, and. Uh... Uh that really is 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 hard to believe but i believe you when you say it were, were you kind of a nerd is that how they saw you
2: oh a hundred percent i loved science fiction i i had a really bad acne you know i was like oh. i was the kid who would rather um, draw or paint or use pastels i was always very artistic um i wore i still i'm wearing women's jeans right now so i always, you know, dressed a little differently and behaved a little differently, spoke a little differently. And I think as my mental illnesses started becoming more invasive in my everyday life, like interrupting my speech and my ability to, to relate to people in middle and high school, I think that only just drew more attention to me Oh yeah, in in the wrong way, not in a way that I wanted. Yeah. Right.
0: Uh, But what I'm getting is that you were sensitive, artistic kid who, uh, you know, those kinds of kids still exist, they still get bullied, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And it's like, in the world of the world of kids can be very cruel. And, um, and often, you know, in in adulthood, things can turn around. But you really had a lot of challenges, even as you, uh, as you were moving ahead towards adulthood, you refer to eating disorders, was that just as a child or did you have that as you moved into adulthood as well?
2: No, even, I mean, even now I, I put a lot of effort into making sure that I'm eating enough food. Like for a long time, I, I struggled with anorexia and bulimia and I was doing bodybuilding. So um, (laughs) if it's masquerading as something really masculine, it's not as easy to identify like, you know, people who are cutting weight in order to meet a certain Um, weight category or people who are like, Oh, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to eat for a few days so I can get my body fat percentage down before a photo shoot or whatever. And it's these things that have been kind of normalized that I've now carried over with me. And I um, unintentionally, and now I, I put a lot of time and effort into making sure that I'm, I'm eating enough food and that I'm taking better care of my body.
0: Wow. And then, in in terms of emotional problems and uh, and various disorders, you uh, you reference hallucinations at some point and uh, suicide attempts. Uh, you want to expand on those at all?
2: Yeah i I had all sorts of different hallucinations, primarily visual and auditory. So I would hear things and people that were not there. And I would, um, see things in people that were not there. And some of those hallucinations were very, um, exciting and Hollywoody. Like I would see a wolf in my hallway or something very dramatic. And then other hallucinations were very mundane. Um, like for a long time, I hallucinated that I had a printer and I actually did not. So uh, there's a lot of like very, very boring, long standing hallucinations. you had a,
0: print- a printer? Yep. Okay. Just that I had a printer. <laughs> but you didn't have a printer. Correct. Yeah. So yeah.
2: I, I think that's a, I purposely bring that up because a lot of people, when they think of schizophrenia, they have like a very um, dramatic image of what they think it looks right. like. But my experience with schizophrenia was varied. Like some hallucinations were very dramatic and some were pretty mundane.
0: Around what age were you when those began?
2: Probably middle school was when they first started, Uh, high school was when I started really struggling with them, and then college is when they became debilitating.
0: Oh, wow! And uh, was I know for a lot of people there are tormenting voices, uh, saying that you know. How awful you are, uh, how worthless you are, and so on. Did you have those kinds of voices as well?
2: Yes, I experienced that. Um, but at the same time, like inside of the same day, I would also experience um, delusions of grandeur and feeling that, you know, I was the only person. For example, um, for many years, I thought that um, if I stepped on cracks, they would, there were small blades in those cracks, like in the sidewalk, let's say that would hurt my feet. But I also thought that I was the only person in the world who could see them and feel them and knew that they were there. So there was this idea that I was so clued in. I knew so much more about the world than these other people. So I would sometimes feel that I was worthless and, um, you know, not good enough. And other times I would feel that I had this, like secret knowledge that so many other people didn't have. It yeah. was it was a very confusing time for me.
0: Yeah, and you see, you had multiple diagnoses. You were also diagnosed as uh, as bipolar, which some of what you're describing now would seem to fit, and ADHD. So uh, so you you had a real a real mix, and you did you did get. A variety of psychotherapies, I guess, dealing with what probably both medications and psychotherapy. So talk to us a bit about your experience with those.
2: Yeah. When I first started, when I first actually went to see a doctor, I was not convinced that it would help me. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I'm too broken and I'm, I'm too uniquely broken for whatever, you know, prepackaged therapy option you have to really help me. And I was just as skeptical of medicine and it took me, you know, I, I bounced around between a few doctors before I found one that I really trusted. And I was in treatment for months before I actually started participating because for the first however many months I would sit there with a bad attitude, arms crossed, like you can't help me. Uh-huh. And it took a long time for me to actually start being a willful participant and cooperating with my doctor, which is when I really started seeing some progress in treatment.
0: Well, wow, wonderful uh, that, that there was that turnaround. What what do you think triggered that ability to participate when you were so uh, skeptical and negative? What turned that around? I think
2: it was a matter of health education. like. I was in high school at the time, and I was taking psychology courses, so I I chose that as my elective, and I was learning about um, abnormal psychology, like all of the different things I was experiencing, and there was something about being in a classroom and reading in a textbook. Like, keep in mind, when my doctors were diagnosing me, I thought they were insulting me. I'm like, bipolar, how dare you? Like that, I, I felt so offended. But then if I'm sitting in a classroom, taking a psychology course, and I'm reading in a textbook describing what hallucinations are like and describing um, symptoms and behaviors associated with bipolar one, it felt so much more objective. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, man, like if, if therapy and medication are helping these people who have similar life experiences, then they really could help me too.
0: Wow. Wow. So it's interesting that seeing it out there in an objective way that you could then admit the truth of what was going on and that it wasn't necessarily the the horrible thing that, uh, you know, that it might have been made out to be. Um, now, you're also a musician. I see a, an electric guitar hanging on your wall back there. And, yeah. uh, and so... T- when did you make your entry into the world of music because I know I know you've uh, you've been a real uh, heavy metal hard banging rocker right and you've got tattoos on your arms, sleeves, right So mm-hmm. talk to us about about your
2: musical career. Yeah when I was younger, like I said I was definitely the more artistic type and when yeah. I would lose my temper, when I would feel sad or rejected, I would pick up a guitar or I would turn on the radio. I I had a cassette player that I would listen to all the time. And then I got a CD player. So I was always turning to music for, for not only comfort when I listened to music, but also in creating music, like a channel for self-expression somewhere to put those feelings rather than just bury them. So I started playing guitar when I was eight years old. And I played my first concert when I was 16. And so I'm 29 about to turn 30 now. So it's been it's been well over a decade of performing live. And um, when I was 16 years old, when I played my first show, I was terrified. I couldn't look at the audience. I stared straight down at the stage the entire time and paced back and forth. But now when I perform, I feel so alive and connected and engaged. So. I didn't think I would have a music career, but I always hoped that I would. And, and I think probably around the end of my first year in college was when we started touring full time and my band actually got signed and it became like my job job. And we were on tour six, eight months a year. Wow.
0: So the band that you're in now, what's the name of the band?
2: It's called prison
0: prison. And, uh, is that your band? Like, are you the band leader or or a member or what's your role in the band?
2: I am the vocalist and I am fortunate to have the ability to write a lot of the music. Okay. Um, and I write all of the lyrics and I, I work a lot on the creative direction of the band, which is cool because it allows us to write music about mental health about sobriety about sexual consent and suicide prevention and all of these things that are so important to me
0: oh good and uh, the name of the band prison does that have a particular significance to you psychological significance things, oh yeah Seems like a mind yeah
2: yeah like you know we spend um you know if you think about someone in prison they they stay inside of this one little confined space you know uh eight feet by 10 feet or whatever the dimensions are they stay in this cell for 23 hours they're they're stuck in there and then for an hour they get to go out into the yard to to have rec time they play basketball or lift weights or play cards or do something that gets them out of that confined space and that's how we've always viewed music and performing is like you know as musicians, I know a lot of creative people can relate to this. We spend a lot of time in our heads being critical of ourselves or being frustrated or, or perpetuating these automatic negative thoughts, but expressing ourselves through art gives us that one, that one hour reprieve um, just like a prisoner has when they're engaging in rec time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about your tattoos? Give it, give us the history of your tattoos. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if they, uh, Tell
2: your story in some way. I think everyone's tattoos kind of tell their story, whether they want them to or not. Um, are Can people see me right now or they can only hear me?
0: Uh, you're going to be on YouTube as well as only hearing. Uh, the podcast is only hearing, but we'll also put this interview on YouTube. So feel free to show off.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just touch seen. on a couple I'll just touch on a couple. So this, my right arm, it would kind of be challenging to show you the whole arm, but it's all nightmares that I've had. Uh And when I learned about exposure therapy, I thought, well, why don't I get the things that I'm afraid of tattooed on my arms so that I see them every day. Uh And then over time through exposure, I won't be quite as afraid of them. So every time I would have not just one nightmare, but I used to have recurring night terrors and I would have sleep paralysis for many years. And I, you know, after I would experience the same nightmare, maybe 30, 60, 180 nights in a row, I would get that tattooed on me as part of this sleeve. And then I would look at it every day. And over time, it really did help desensitize me to those images so that when I did face them in my sleep, I thought, you don't scare me. I know you're just a dream. I see you on my arm every day. You know, that's the
0: most amazing uh, story of uh, desensitization that I've ever heard.
2: (laughs) I don't recommend it for everybody. It is definitely a very intense way to deal with sleep paralysis and night terrors, but it it helped me quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Wow. And, um, So, so I'm wondering how you, uh, uh, in your pr- presentation on, uh, on YouTube, you say that it wasn't a dramatic turnaround, uh, but rather it took a, a time and a lot of different specific steps. And so what, because now you're, you know, I'm struck by, you can talk about neuroscience, you can talk about different approaches to psychotherapy and all. Uh, how did you acquire this? Maybe take us through some of those steps how did I acquire all this knowledge of uh, (laughs) not only about yourself, but about, about uh, neuroscience and psychotherapy approaches and so on.
2: Yeah. So I, in high school, I started taking college level psychology courses and then when I went to college, I actually pursued a degree in psychology and I was, I had a focus on abnormal psychology and neuroscience and I was extremely fascinated by it because I had a personal stake in it, right? Like, sure. I didn't want to go to school to learn about statistics. No, I want to go to school to learn about what the heck is happening inside of my brain. Yeah. And then after school, I started working in um, peer support and public advocacy, serving on nonprofit boards, and I got really involved in. Um, volunteer work in the mental health space. I was in treatment, of course, through all of this. And even now I'm still in therapy. Okay. Um, so my whole, I mean, the last 15 years of my life basically have been dedicated to to gaining a better understanding of the brain. Like literally earlier this morning, I was doing dishes and listening to a TED talk about how the brain rationalizes failure. Like every i day, day I'm, I'm reading and listening to lectures and learning and it's I'm fortunate that it's part of my job, part of yeah. running a mental health resource. But even if it wasn't, I would still be learning those things because it's so important to me.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing that that interests me, too, around that is having a senior TED presentation. Um, it, it's so polished. I mean, how did you learn to be such a good speaker?
2: <laughs> Honestly, um it's funny if you knew me when I was younger I actually had a fair amount of difficulty speaking and forming coherent sentences um I know that not everybody who lives with schizophrenia faces that not everybody who lives with OCD faces that but my diagnoses were particularly disruptive when it came to verbal speech which is why I preferred to write um and something that really helped me, aside from like, of course, including therapy and medication, was also I took improv classes. Okay. And like improv comedy. And it kind of forced me to try to speak yeah. through some of these challenges that I had. Yeah. And that plus performing in a band and being a vocalist, I just had reps. Like every single night, I was either on a stage speaking, I was on a stage. Uh, performing vocals, or I was on a stage performing comedy. And not only that, but I also did peer support and was teaching comedy. So I kind of like forced myself to get better at interpersonal communication. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I've watched
0: a a lot of TED presentations, and I'm always really impressed by how polished they are. And, uh, and yours is
2: right up there with the best of them. Uh, I really appreciate that. It takes an incredible amount of work.
0: Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Uh, And what a great uh, role model you are for uh, other people who are out there suffering and, and an example of, Hey, you can get through this. And, uh, and also your willingness to talk about it and your willingness to, to keep working, keep working on your growth, keep working on your intellectual understanding. Uh, all of that is is so impressive. Now I have to ask you, how did you learn to run a business? Because uh, you're running a business.
2: <laughs> yeah, that someone asked me in an interview recently, like a couple months ago, they were like, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? They're asking like, you know, you've gone to trauma therapy for abuse and you've, you, you know, like stayed sober and weaned off medication. Like, you know, what's been the hardest part. And I was like, honestly, the hardest part is running a business. (laughs) It's so hard. Like a lot of it actually was. um, So my background is not business. If you can't tell, like it's psychology. I didn't go to school for business. I don't, uh, you know, that's not my background. So I have Googled so many things. I have searched on YouTube for tutorials. I've asked, um, random people that I, I just reached out to people who seem like they're doing a good job with things and asked them it's been it's the same style it's the same approach that I've taken towards learning about my mental and emotional health I've applied towards learning how to run a business like I'm always listening to lectures and reading books and asking people for their input it's like it's like a crowdsourced company because i've i must have asked 5,000 people for their input before I actually did anything.
0: Wow. Yeah, because uh so much of what's on YouTube these days seems to be how uh you know money making those those podcasts hmm. seem to do very well and they're out there in such abundance so uh so you've really milked that as a source
2: which uh you have to, to. That, like yeah. if you don't have a big pile of money sitting around waiting for you to dig into it, to hire a bunch of people to start your business, then you need to get really scrappy with free resources. So that's what I was doing. I literally, I live in Tampa Bay, Florida, and I was Googling um, Tampa Bay, Florida, small business resources free. And then I called up all these places and submitted applications for free support. And then I would meet with every small business consultant that was like um, state-sponsored or county-sponsored where the, the entrepreneur doesn't have to pay to use the services. And I just, I tried to use every free resource I could find.
0: Yeah. So now you've got this business and you've got a website, you know, and the, your website looks fully professional and so on. So I, I have the impression maybe that it's, it's grown to the place where you're starting to be able to hire people.
2: Yeah. So, but and thank you for the kind words on the website. Believe it or not, I built the website and that's not my background either. So yeah, that's another right. thing I YouTubed and Googled. Sure. Um, but yeah, we, we hired our first employee in 2019, I want to say. And um, we've been able to make some more hires since then. We're, we're still hiring more people right now. So it's been, um, it feels very slow and gradual, but if you zoom out, I think we're much further at the four-year mark than any of us anticipated we would be. Yeah,
0: that's wonderful. Now, in terms of the personal growth, I have the impression that you're married. Is that right?
2: And maybe have- I am not. Oh, you're no. not married. No, okay. I've been single for a long time. And I I actually was just in my first relationship post-trauma therapy. Um, just recently, like late last year, early this year. So that was like a big victory to be able to date again after going through that. Yeah, good,
0: good. Okay, Um, so now we come to this wonderful development of your business, which uh, I love the story that you tell, that, um, you know, initially you would try uh, putting up Post-it notes for yourself, Uh, inspirational post-it notes. Uh, Tell us about that and and what your insight from that experience was.
2: Yeah. So I was learning about the subconscious mind and how things make an imprint on it, even if we're not consciously choosing for that thing to make an imprint on it, kind of like, you know, put good in, get good out, right? Like if you're reading um things that are healthy then that should make an impact on the way you think over time so i was like okay why don't i i actually made sticky notes of um you know i I, it's hard for me to like the cheesy um like platitudes like oh just shrug it off or (sighs) something i'm like no i need something like a little more tangible so i made these sticky notes that um helped me challenge negative thoughts that I would have regularly. And I would stick them all around my house. And the goal was to surround myself with the type of content that would influence the way I thought. But the challenge I was running into was, you know, after a couple days of those sticky notes being there, my brain would just completely tune them out. And they like blend it in.
0: Yeah, habituation, you talk about that. And Mm -hmm. uh, and I totally understand that as somebody who's put up my own sticky notes over the years. Yeah. Enthusiasm, uh, (laughs) things like that (laughs) to make myself try to be more expressive. So you 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 ran into you discovered habituation for yourself and that it was after a bit. This really wasn't working for you. So tell us about the next step that you went to.
2: Yeah. I, I, well, I was trying to surprise myself, which is, you know, it's hard to tickle yourself. It it's hard, hard to, surprise to surprise yourself. Yeah. Right. So I, um, I was originally setting alarms on my phone with different messages on them, but okay. then I knew that the alarms were coming because I set them. Right. So even if I tried to make them random times, my brain would still be like, Oh yeah, don't forget. You have that alarm coming up. So, um, I wanted to figure out how I could surprise or whether or not surprising somebody would actually make a difference. So I wrote out some messages and texted them to friends unsolicited. They, they didn't know I was, gonna oh, know was going to do it or whatever. I just started texts
0: from you, right?
2: Yeah. I just started sending people text messages that I thought would help them. And the responses were I still have screenshots, actually, I should publish these one day, Um, I have the screenshots of people saying what, how did you know I needed to hear that, like that helps so much or that, that's making such a big impact on me and I was blown away, because it was kind of a test, right, I'm like, well, we'll just send some texts and see how it works. And almost everybody I texted was like, wow, I needed to hear that so badly.
0: Yeah. And the interesting thing is you did not tailor the messages for their problems, but somehow, somehow they, their brain incorporated the message in terms of their own particular life issues so that it seemed like, well, this is the universe speaking to me.
2: Yeah. I think that's a big misconception in the mental health world is that like we need to hyper tailor everything to exactly what somebody is going through. And it's like, You know, I mean, I think about it like water, like when you drink water, the water goes into your body and does what it's supposed to do for your body. It doesn't stop at your mouth and go, well, wait a second. What is this person's vitamin balance for the day? And well, hold on what, how old is this person and what? No, everybody drinks water and water does what it's supposed to do in your body. And I am a firm believer that while you can hyper, um, Customize every little detail of everything that helps you. It is not necessary for you to actually experience positive results from using a resource. Books don't tailor themselves to you. Songs don't tailor themselves to you. Your toothbrush does not tailor itself to you. And these things help us tremendously every day. Well put. Well put.
0: (coughs) Well, tell us more about your business and uh, tell us about cope notes, which is the business that you're running and feel free to make a pitch here for it to, uh, get other people interested in, in subscribing.
2: Yeah. If you're not familiar with cope notes and I'll try to make this short and interesting. Cause I, I don't want people to be listening to a no podcast and then go, Oh, great. A commercial. No, what we do at cope notes is we send randomly timed text messages that contain psychology facts or journaling prompts or, um, exercises, all sorts of different content. And those messages are written by peers with lived experience. So just regular old people like you and me, and they are designed to interrupt negative thought patterns and provide catalysts for positive thoughts. So that over time, your brain learns to think in healthier patterns. And this is for people with or without a mental health diagnosis and it's also for not only individuals but also you can give a subscription to a friend or family member we have family subscriptions and we also serve really large groups like school districts and businesses and governments insurance companies and so on
0: as well the the, the uh, growth into those areas uh, in such a short period of time so i and you offer a 7 day free trial So I signed up for the seven-day free trial. Oh, cool! Yeah, and I got some of those messages. But I'm wondering, you found that in your own experience, you needed you one message a day wasn't going to do it for you. You really needed to be kind of bombarded with with these things. And what if I want to be bombarded? What if I want to get a whole lot of those messages? Uh, How how does that happen?
2: So interestingly, um, quantity does not actually make a huge positive impact. So think oh, about it this way. If we're texting you more than, let's say, twice a day, your brain expects these text messages to be coming, and then you habituate that content. Okay. You get so used to the text messages coming in that they're not novel anymore, and they don't serve as interruptions. But if we text you less than once per day, we're not enforcing the consistency necessary to form new neural pathways. So the sweet spot isn't a lot, and it's not a little, it's one or two messages per day that we found to be the most effective.
0: Now, when you, you talk about the sweet spot and what you found to be effective, do you have any, any formal research going on presently? Or do you see that in the future of the company?
2: Yeah, we've done two research studies with the University of South Florida, um, one of which already published and the other will publish here in a couple months. Very exciting. We've been working on these studies for literally years and we continue to do research. Like, I mean, it's so important to us that we get this right. Like every single day we make changes to our Product and our services based on the feedback from not only individual users, but also clinicians and mental health professionals. Like every day, Cope Notes is better than the day before because of that feedback, and we're always seeking it.
0: Uh huh. So, you have mental health professionals who are subscribers and who are uh, in your feedback loop?
2: Well, we actually have a clinical oversight panel. Okay. So, these are mental health professionals who review, edit, and approve all of the content. So before any message is sent to you, it's reviewed by a panel of clinicians, and we regularly consult them with like high-level strategy questions as well.
0: Wow. Well, this has been a a wonderful uh, conversation uh, for me, and uh, I'm sure for my viewers and listeners. And uh, is there anything we haven't touched on that you'd like to say?
2: Just that... You know, if there are people listening right now who think oh, I don't need a mental health resource, or that's not interesting to me, or I don't live with a diagnosis, or whatever, um, I want to encourage you to like give it a spin anyway. Like you said, and I always forget to mention this, there is a free trial on our website. You have literally nothing to lose. All you do is type in your phone number and press enter. That's it. Like we don't collect your name, we don't collect your address, you don't put your credit card information in. Like just type in your phone number, press. I think the button says, text me. So just press text me. We'll text you once a day for a week. If you don't like it, at least you learned about a new resource. And at least you allowed us to make that tiny subconscious imprint on your brain for one week, because whether or not you're conscious of it or not, that is making a difference long term. And please, if nothing else, if you never give us a dime, if you never recommend us to anybody, at least allow us to make that impact on your brain for one week.
0: Hey, That's a great offer. Um, I have to ask you, is Johnny Crowder your actual name or is that your stage name?
2: No, that's my real, that is my real name. It's a great rock and roll name. (laughs) I appreciate that. That's cool. When I, when I grew up, I, I actually had a pizza delivered to the Chowder household. And a lot of people have called me Johnny Chowder before. So to hear someone say, no, Crowder is a good name. I'm like, yeah, take that pizza guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great name. Well, Johnny Crowder, I really want to thank you, and uh, you can consider me one of
2: your one of your crowd. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and thanks for doing the trial too. Like because it's anonymous, I never know who's using it, so it's yeah. really cool to hear that you gave it a spin.
0: Okay, well, thanks for being my guest today on Shrinkwrap Radio. My interview with Johnny Crowder, the 30-year-old founder and CEO of Cope Notes, might be the most remarkable one yet. Remarkable because his journey through mental illness and treatment to running a mental health business is mind-blowingly unique and special. It's really an example of incredible resilience and capability coexisting side by side with serious mental disability. His growing up years included PTSD-inducing physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. I didn't push him to recount the specific details of these events, especially since he shared that he is working to get on better terms with his parents. It's easy enough to fill in the blanks. He was a slight, frail boy who found solace in his fantasies, music, and art. In addition, he came across odd to other kids in school, and so he was bullied all the way through school. Along the way, he was diagnosed as schizophrenic, manic-depressive, and suffering from ADHD. As he spoke to us about his symptoms, it became clear that the jumble of diagnoses were probably accurate. He candidly discussed with us examples of visual and auditory hallucinations, delusions of grandeur, depressive bouts, and suicide attempts. He described feeling paradoxically worthless and uniquely special at the same time. Not surprisingly, he ended up in therapist offices and on a variety of prescribed medications. His initial impressions of therapy were that it was a big waste of time. He began taking psychology courses in high school and reading extensively in psychology to try to understand what was wrong with him. Interestingly, a major turning point for him happened in a course on abnormal psychology. He saw that many of his symptoms were there in black and white. He realized he wasn't being misjudged by therapists and that they were earnestly trying to help him. This intellectual insight, reframing, helped him to stop resisting therapy and really dig into the emotional work. I guess we are all walking bundles of contradictions. In Johnny Crowder's life, these paradoxical opposites are more dramatic and visible. Early in his school days, Johnny took up the electric guitar and formed a series of bands. He also took improv workshops and had the nerve to perform stand-up comedy. These helped him to develop confidence as a public speaker. His current band is called Prison, which clearly has emotional meaning for him as do the tattoos on his arms, which also identify him as a serious rocker. The internet has been his graduate school, diving deeply into various psychological theories, therapeutic approaches, and online information about how to run a business. He has a seemingly insatiable hunger to grow and to learn, I'm so impressed by this young man, his courage, his drive toward healing, transparency, and business success. I'm also impressed by his desire to help others achieve mental health and his ingenious insights which have led to his business, Cope Notes. His challenges continue, and his story has more chapters to come. I think you'll want to see his TEDx talk on YouTube which is titled, How to Grow as a Person. It has over a million views, and like Johnny and his company, is still growing.
3: Hi, this is Kathy O'Canna calling. I am calling to express my gratitude for all of the effort that you have put into providing weekly thought-provoking podcasts. One of your interviews mentioned that Western medicine provides numerous diagnoses and very little in the way of healing underlying trauma. I am hoping that we are entering into an age where people refuse to treat their symptoms by pharmacological means, whether medically or self-prescribed. Knowing that there is no one approach to healing that will be effective for everyone, I encourage people to listen to your podcasts to help them discover approaches which resonate with them so they can begin their own journey towards healing. While on the couch with Dr. Dave, I have found myself paying greater attention to my dreams, practicing yoga more frequently, shifting my priorities to allow myself time to care for myself, increasing my attempts to remain in the present, renewing my interest in fairy tales, mythology, and the tarot and mustering the courage to work on my marriage in a more constructive way. I believe that it is easier to stay angry and blame others than to acknowledge our own roles in relationships and take responsibility for our own hurtful words and actions, which may be sabotaging our ability to connect and forgive others. I have recently begun somatic experiencing therapy to assist my body in letting go of the trauma that it holds. Dr. Dave, your podcasts have significantly inspired my personal journey towards healing, and in an effort to encourage others to do the same, my husband and I feel we must financially support your endeavor. Dr. Dave, as you have been called to provide people with windows into a wide variety of approaches to healing... I believe that those of us who are listening are being called to donate what we can to further the healing of others. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Kathy O'Canna, for your long-time support and encouragement for others to follow your example. And, of course, thank you to all you other monthly supporters. Your regular donations mean so, 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 so much to me. By the way, I'm happy to let you all know that ShrinkWrap Radio is now available on Spotify. Just go to Spotify and search for S-H-R-I-N-K-R-A-P-R-A-D-I-O and that should get you there. Once again, time to shrink wrap it up. Thanks to today's remarkable guest, Johnny Crowder, founder and CEO of the tech-based mental health tool, Cope Notes. I'm especially grateful for Johnny's courage in sharing so openly about his own mental health challenges along the way. Next week, I'll be speaking again to noted author and consultant Jonathan Shedler, PhD, on the seven principles of psychoanalytic psychotherapy. So with that, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourself, others, and the earth
1: I've got the key to the highway feet up and ready to go. Oh, I'm listening to Doctor Dave that old shrink rap radio Now in the moon on the mountain I'll be on my way listening to that quiet little voice I walk along life's old highway Now I've got the key to the highway Got myself fed up and I've got to grow. We'll oh, take into the air now. Walking's most too slow. So come with me. Now, people, let's go explore the great unknown. We got the key to that inner highway. That's where we're meant to roam. So open up your hearts, now people, that's the only way to grow, love is the key to that highway, you heard it on Shrink Rap Radio.
3: been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know and just enough to make you dangerous.